Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. My name is Lena Ebajemra, and I'm your host. It is uh, great to have you back with us if you've been here before, and if you're new, welcome. We're glad that you checked in with us. This is a place where we share biblical truth for everyday life. Our hope is that you grow in the knowledge of God and that you continue to stand strong in a world that is shaken. And so this summer, we are running a teaching series that I've put together called the Unshaken Series. It is an awesome teaching series and uh, one of the most popular teachings that I've done. It uh, focuses each week on a different Bible character, a man or woman that has stood strong in faith no matter the difficult circumstances they were in. I know that you're going to find hope and healing with each of the weeks that will cover a different episode. And so uh, if you want to know more about our ministry, check out livingwithpower.org. And by the way, when you land on our page, check out our speaking page. And if you are looking for a person to come and teach uh, or lead a conference at your church or uh, group gathering, then please reach out. We'd love to meet you in person. In the meantime, sit back, relax, and listen to today's teaching in the Unshaken series. We are in lesson five, episode five of a series called Unshaken, Strong in Faith No Matter What. The title of this series from Genesis 39 is When I'm Stuck and can't get out when I'm stuck and can't get out. And that could mean a lot of things for you right now. And so for some of you, it's very literal. For others of you, it's very symbolic and it is uh, very spiritual, or it may be very circumstantial. You might feel stuck in a relationship you don't want to be in, in a job you don't want to be in, in a pattern of sin that you've tried to break and you can't get out of. Man, we, are, we all live in some capacity stuck, and God has so much more for us. And I uh, really believe that if we could constantly remember some of the things that we're going to talk about tonight and learn from the life of Joseph, who we're focusing on tonight, that we can get victory. Jesus is alive. He is alive in us. If you've received him into your life, then he is alive in you. We've been given everything we need to be transformed. And so the, the end point of this is to see how God uses these seasons and difficulties where we feel stuck to really get us to lean into him and to, to look for his presence and then to find the victory that we need. We don't want to stay the same. I think you would agree with me. You can throw some thumbs up and some hearts. I don't want to stay the same. I already know my problems. I can make you a list of my problems, my insecurities, the areas in my life where I'm stuck and I want to change and I want to grow closer to God. And I thank God for the weaknesses where I can see his strength, but I also want victory. I want to live like Joseph lived. And, and when we get into the story here in a second, you're going to see that this young man, um, he, he did it. He lived victoriously and it is not an accident that he is a type of Christ. Uh, looking at the life of Joseph, you can see a lot of parallels between his life and the life of Jesus Christ. He's uh, as close to perfect, nobody's perfect but Jesus, but as close to perfect humanly. In fact, the most close to perfect in the Old Testament as Jesus is in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus is perfect, but but Joseph sort of symbolizes that. So I think you're going to see sometimes you're going to read his story and be like, wow, I don't think I would have done this. I would have caved. Uh, yeah, join the club. Um, but but there's a reason why he's given to us in the story. Now, his, his circumstances and his lot in life were not easy. And uh, a sketch of his story going back to Genesis 37. We're going to land in a minute on 39, but I can't skip over 37 because it's really the background of the story. And so in, the, in Genesis 37, by now, remember last week we spoke about um, Jacob and the week before we were about Abraham and Sarah for the past couple of weeks. So you sort of have a feel for the Old Testament now. We started off with Adam and Eve. And so we see the, this thread of scripture of the theme of redemption. Uh, people you know, fell into sin in Genesis and God promised redemption. And then right away we see, hear the story of Cain and Abel. And we see God giving grace to his people. And, and then Abraham is chosen after we skipped over to Babel and, and, and the flood. But you see how mankind left to himself was, was 
bad, sunken sin, desperately wicked, all of the intents and thoughts of the heart wicked. And then God chooses Abraham and now has the story of redemption through the life of Abraham. Abraham is given a promise by God that he waits 25 years to see come to fruition. And we talked about waiting a lot and faith and getting strong in those seasons where we're tempted to take things into our own hands and Sarah. And then last week, Jacob. Jacob um, was, a, I think many of you have, have commented that that lesson was very meaningful to you. I praise God for that. I love the life of Jacob. He's so broken, but so redeemed. And he has 12 kids. Now, I think because you know the story of Jacob, it wouldn't come as a surprise to you that his kids had some issues. Uh, the guy had some issues and his kids certainly did. Well, uh, he had 11 kids when he left uh, his father-in-law's home to go back to his hometown. And by the time we pick up the story here in Genesis 37, we get a glimpse that those brothers were not good guys, uh, except for one of them. And, and, and Jacob, you know, he had a favorite son and it was that son that would end up becoming the uh, one who was um, persecuted by his brothers. Again, remember, this thread of Joseph being a picture of Christ. So he was his father's favorite and he was persecuted by his brother, but his brothers would later be imprisoned and suffered and then would rise again. And we'll get to that later. But for now, Jacob uh, lived in the land of his father. This is Genesis 37, give you a little glimpse of the background. And uh, we're told these are the generations of Jacob, Genesis 37 too. Joseph being 17 years old, all right? Mine, if you just turned 18. And so I, I, I'm telling you, I, I feel 17. My other one is 16. And if you have teenagers, that is not an easy age to go through what, these, uh, what this young man is going to be going through. But 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy uh, with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. Remember, he was also the firstborn of Rachel, who was the woman that Jacob fell in love with. And all the, all the other boys, except for later Benjamin, would be born. So Rachel had two boys. The other ones were born from Leah and, and the concubines. And so Joseph was special in Jacob's eyes because he loved Rachel, who was barren for so long. And so... Um, and so Israel loved Joseph more than any other son because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors, which you can argue is a bad move. I mean, uh, but when his brothers saw that their father loved them more than all his brothers, they hated him and couldn't speak peacefully to, to him. So again, one wrong doesn't make a right, but you know, doesn't make the other wrong right, but still, this is complicated. You can already tell soap opera, right? Now, Joseph, verse, three, verse five, now Joseph had a dream. We're gonna get into promises in a minute. Don't let that scare you for a second. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Say, why? Well, look at the dream. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dream and for his words. So the dad prefers him. He has this dream given by God. I'll address that in a second. The brothers are who hate him at this point. So now verse nine, he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, behold, I've dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Now his brothers went to pastor their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pastoring the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And here's Joseph's response. He says, here I am. He doesn't say, I want to avoid them. I'm scared of them. He, he goes. 
So he said to him, go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. So he sent him uh, from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem and a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, what are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where are they pasturing the flock? And the man said, they have gone away for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Again, a picture of Christ going after those who, he, who hated him, knowing they hated him. I would have been, as a 17-year-old kid, I would have been like, I tried. They're not here. I'm going back home. But again, Joseph's response is godly, God-honoring. And you're going to see uh, how uh, did God honor him. And I say this sarcastically. How did God, I mean, we're going to see in a minute. Uh, that's what we would ask. How did God honor him for his obedience? But the truth is, you say, uh, what was the result of his obedience? Because we assume that if I obey God, God is going to honor me back. If I do my part, God's going to do his. And we look at it from a limited perspective of our desires and our goals. And, and, and you're going to see how it plays out in the life of Joseph. Here he's faithful. He follows his father's instructions. He goes after his brothers and you're going to see how it uh, plays out for him. Not very great. Uh, so they saw him from afar and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. I mean, it's one thing to bully someone, but they literally want to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what will become of his dreams. When Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands saying, let us not take his life. Can you even imagine having this conversation? We So much time we talk about the, the being wounded by brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, let alone your own family. Here's this young man. We get so upset, so bitter that we're treated badly. And yet we see an example like Joseph, whose own brothers reject him and, 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 and watch and learn if this is something you're struggling with because there's so much godliness here. So Reuben says to them, shed no blood, throw him into the spit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty and there was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, callously sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. And I'll fast forward a little here for the sake of time. Uh, but basically, they sell him as a slave. And they go back home as if that's not enough. They take the coat that Joseph had, if you read through the end of this chapter, uh, they kill an animal, they dip the coat in blood, and they go back to Jacob, and they say, this we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then jo Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. But he, uh, he says, no, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. And then, and then here's a verse of hope, um, sort of of hope. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. One of the themes that's going to come out in the story of, jo of Joseph is this theme of God's providence, even in the midst of very difficult, very unusual, very unexplainable circumstances. And, and you see it even here of all the places that Joseph could have been sold to all the people that he could have been sold to. He gets sold to Potiphar, the right hand of Pharaoh. Okay, there's there, we know the rest of the story. So in our mind, you kind of slow yourself down to put yourself in the story. But also, you know where this is going. You see that God had a plan even in the situation where literally Joseph is stuck. 
He's sold as a slave. He can't get out of his circumstances. He did nothing to deserve it. This is unfair, unjust, and yet God's providence is working for him. And of course, knowing the story, we know that it's going to work out for good. And we'll get to that in a minute. Now I want to pop over to, to Genesis 39. We're looking at unshaken when I'm stuck and I can't get out. Already we see that Joseph is stuck. Again, you identify with that. I identify with that. There are areas in my life right now where I feel stuck. I can't get out of it. Uh, we want to learn from him how to be unshaken. And we're going to, I'll give you the first point here just so we can sort of get a sense that we're moving along. Number one, when I'm stuck and I can't get out, I must hang on to God's promises. Now, this is critical. Why did I read Genesis 37? I wanted to set the tone a little bit for this dream he had. Why did God give Joseph a dream? Well, I want to remind you, because many of you, we've talked about promises and dreams in the past. Not so much dreams, but promises. Which of God's promises can I hang on to? Which can I not? And I sort of want to revisit that in, for a minute, because you're going to see in Genesis 39, which is the passage that you guys should have read. If you didn't, no big deal. But I think it helps you to read for yourself and to get context from the Word. But you're going to see that... Um, that this dream was, Joseph had a relationship with God. That's what this dream was about. And, 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 and in the Old Testament, God uh, spoke through a variety of means because they didn't have the Bible. And so one means was through visions and through, through dreams. So he showed up to Abraham in dreams and Jacob through dreams. And, and he, they would have visions. Of course, uh, Abraham saw a theophany when the three men came and they talked about him having a baby. So there were things that happened in the Old Testament that uh, now our debate, you'll see division in the church. Some people say, well, God still speaks through dreams. And there's another side of the church, both godly people, both studying the scripture, but they come to a different conclusion about it. I think God can speak through dreams, but, but that's not the primary way that he speaks through dreams. It, the New Testament would teach that there's two ways that God clearly speaks to his people now, two distinct and, and sp special ways. One is called a general revelation. Another one is special revelation. General revelation is in Romans 1, just jot down the verse, verses 19 and 20. Romans 1, 19 and 20. In those verses, we're told, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever ever since the creation of the world. The argument that Paul makes in Romans is that God speaks to everybody equally through creation. Who hasn't spent, now spring is coming, who hasn't looked at the foliage and the flowers and, and the beauty? Even in Chicago, you walk down the street and the blooming flowers and who hasn't seen a red cardinal? Y'all know I'm obsessed with those red cardinals. Who hasn't done that and been like, wow, there is a God who is alive. And I see that not just here in the United States, but as I travel overseas, as I've spent time in Africa and South America and Central America, we see that response to nature that makes us think there's something bigger than us. So God speaks through general revelation, but then Hebrews 11.1, uh, the teaching uh, that by the writer of Hebrews, I believe Paul, but, but we don't know who specifically wrote Hebrews, says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And so in Hebrews, we're told that back in the old days, he used the prophets. Now, Jesus, who is the word, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And so we are given the word of God now, where God reveals himself to us through his word. That is where we get special revelation. And so, um, and so back in the Old Testament, that, that, that dream that Joseph had is significant in that it was God's way of speaking to Joseph. And he took it as such. He received it. God can speak through his word, through creation. Ours is to receive it. 
Many people don't receive it. Many people say, I don't care, I don't see. This had to show up in an accident. But, but, but the Christian, the follower of Jesus, the person who is tuning in now, the person who hungers, to, there's a wrestling in your soul, you're wondering, uh, God is drawing you to him, but you have, though I believe God is sovereign, there's a point where you as an individual have to receive it. And so uh, Joseph receives the promise. He receives the word of God. Now, uh, the next layer to this, because we this just generally, I want to talk a little bit about how God speaks, but also moving into this a little, I want to revisit just a little. Well, which promises of God are for me and which are general? Let me read a little more of Genesis 39. I want to come back to that in a second. Um, now we're going to pick up Joseph's story. Now, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, remember he was sold to, to Egypt, uh, to a man named Potiphar, who is like right hand of Pharaoh. And, and Joseph doesn't know that he's going to be Joseph, you know, the man with the cold multicolor Broadway star. Like, that's not in his future right now. Like, he is done. His, his life is done as you know it. He thinks he's going to die, probably. We don't know. But, but, but he, uh, we're going to see that he had an awareness of God. That's going to be point number two in a second. But so Joseph had been brought down, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmael, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. Now, verse two. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. Against all odds, even in his place of being stuck, God is at work. So the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. Listen to this. His master saw that the Lord was with him. So, so, so for the master, an Egyptian, they don't believe in the same God of, of Abraham. For him to see and understand that there's a God who is for him meant that at some point there had to have been a conversation, some kind of, I and mean, you have to assume that there may have been some kind of, 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 of conversation where Joseph would have said, Here, here's who we are. I serve the living God. Here's who my dad is, Jacob. And he had this relationship with God and God appeared to him and on and on and on. And, and enough that that master saw that the Lord was with him. And, that, and, and by the way, what that means to me was that the master, Potiphar, did not see anger, disappointment, bitterness, despair, hopelessness in Joseph. In fact, he saw a man who continued to trust in the promises of God. Now, did it mean at that point that Joseph believed? We, I don't know the extent of what he believed. Did he really believe that he would someday rule over his brothers? I don't know. But I believe that he believed that God would work all things out for good. I believe that he believed that though man planned it for evil, God would turn it out for good. I would guess that Joseph was also human. He's not perfect. He's not the savior. That at some point, Joseph wrestled with those things. Is God going to fulfill the dream of me rising over my brothers? I mean, we're not told if he can hang on to that dream per se, but he continued to believe in a God who gives dreams and interprets dreams and is able to deliver us when we feel stuck. That we see. So was he shocked when God delivered? No, but I bet he was a little bit surprised. But throughout this chapter 39, we're going to see this thread of a man who is stuck beyond all possibilities. Even as the head of the master's household, you'll see in a second, he's still a slave. And so his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So when when Potiphar talked to Joseph about, hey, how are you a success? Joseph gave credit to God. Well, it's not me, it's the Lord. He's giving me success. But, 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 but Joseph, but you're a slave. But I know, but, but the Lord is working in this difficult circumstance. This is a man, this is a perspective of man with unshaken faith. And so uh, the Lord, so to, that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. We're in verse four of chapter 39. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. 
That's how strong his integrity and his trust in God was that this man brings a slave and he gives him everything, pretty much. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. Has it ever crossed your mind, Christian, listening, that God may be pouring his favor in your communities, in your job, in your neighborhoods because of you? You go, not me, you don't understand who I am. No, no, not because of you, but because of Christ in you. There's favor that, that is there. I really believe that's true, that God protects and blesses. You pray, you seek the Lord, and there's, there's an overflow of that. And so the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph, he had a curse. He was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. Bad news. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I sin? Can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her to be with her. One day, of course, the story, you might know it, uh, again, just to cut down time a little, she tricks him. He comes in and she, um, he runs, she grabs his coat, he runs, she hangs onto the coat and she accuses him of rape, which was the last thing he did. He actually ran away, but nobody was in the house. And so um, she yells and cries and she says, the Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us, she tells her husband, this Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came into me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. Now, if your brain is like mine, Joseph uh, obeyed his father to go feed his brothers, give him the lunch, and uh, how did it turn out for him? Not good. Now he's faithful to God by obeying, by being joyful in tribulation, by rejoicing in everything, by running away from sin and temptation, and what happens to him? Uh, he gets put in prison. Uh, there's a theme surfacing in Joseph's life that if you take away God, is a theme that would make us conclude, well, God is not worthy to be trusted. But that's not the conclusion that Joseph reaches. And, and I, I'm telling you, this is challenging because, because we might trust God once, maybe twice, but on the third time where we do the right thing and God doesn't pay us back, it becomes harder to settle into this relationship where we start doubting God and we start wondering who he is. And, and you go, how do we guard against that? So the first point was when I'm stuck and I can't get out, I must hang on to God's promises. The second is this, when I'm stuck and I can't get out, it's easy to lose sight of God's presence. In other words, the only way to make it is to keep being aware of God's presence. Why did Joseph stand against temptation? Because he saw God present. He didn't live in a world where he, he, you know, it's like the ostrich that has its head in the ground. Like sometimes we as Christians live like that. We just act as if God isn't here. Like if, if we can't see him, then he can't see us. And the result is catastrophic. And, and, and it doesn't have to be just in sexual temptations, but in all sorts of ways. And the way that we treat others, I guarantee you that we would speak more kindly to people if we were aware of God's presence in our life. And so um, how do we lose sight of God's presence in our life? Well, we lose sight of God's presence when we focus on our disappointments, when we turn our eyes away from God. And, and all of a sudden, the story, the theme, the thing that we want to talk about is not that God is faithful. So, so, so Potiphar, in the, in, in the house of Potiphar, when they had that conversation between Potiphar and Joseph, what always came out of Joseph's mouth was the Lord's presence, the Lord's goodness. 
He wasn't focused on his disappointment. He was focused on the presence of God. And so the shortest way to know, what if they had had a, a situation where Joseph was focused on his disappointment? And then in every conversation with Potiphar, he would have been like, well, my life stinks. My brothers treated me badly. I, I'm a victim. I'm a victim. I'm a victim. What would have Potiphar learned? Nothing. You see it. But Joseph was not focused on his disappointment. So if you want to be aware of God's presence, take your eyes off of disappointment, fix them on the promises of God and live in awareness of his presence. Here's another one. We lose sight of God's presence when we choose to make big things seem small. Christians are great at that. We make big things seem small and small things seem big. That's the essence of sin. The things God cares about, we don't care about. The things that don't matter, we make huge. We see Christians fighting night and day, you know, about, about little technicalities. What food are you eating? What do you do on Sunday? Where do you, you know, what, what political party? And on and on and on. We make it the main thing. Should women speak on Sunday or should they be on Wednesday? Oh, my word. I mean, are they not important things? No, they're important, but they're not the main thing. We got to make big things in God's eyes stay big and the little things, Satan distorts that. The little things become big, big things become small. Joseph saw that that temptation day after day was not a small thing, it was a big thing. And so he stayed faithful, he stayed faithful, he stayed faithful. He didn't focus on his disappointment. He saw his sin as a big thing. We lose sight of God's presence when we make self the center of my world, when we want God to to do whatever it is that I want him to do in my timing when I want him to do it. That's when we lose sight of God's presence. I become God and God is working for me. We don't think we do that. We're too Christian for that. And yet the, the amazing thing about Joseph's story is that he was able to keep God the center of it all. We're going to see what happened to him here. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And it says in verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. It didn't matter where Joseph was stuck. God's presence was with him always. And he was aware of it. I've been sort of thinking of a prayer of awareness. I've been meditating as I'm writing. One of the things I'm writing about is, is uh, the power that comes in our life when we focus on God's presence, when we're aware of his presence. We, his presence is here. Uh, God's attributes is, is that he's everywhere. And for the Christian, he lives in us. So that, that's who God is. Whether I believe it or not doesn't change who God is. But how do we become aware of his presence? And, and we want to live with that awareness. And so I've been thinking of an easy prayer. I forget things. And so one prayer that I've been, that I've been saying and, and trying to keep easy and, and simple, and I'll share it with you, that might bless you. But I'm praying, Lord, open my eyes that I may see you, my ears that I may hear you, my mouth that I may declare your praise, and open my heart to receive everything that you have for me today. I've become habituated to say this. Now, not that the words themselves are changing magical formulas. Say it three times, walking around your kitchen. It, no, it's the heart behind it. God, open my eyes. I want to see you. Open my ears. I want to hear you. Open my mouth to praise you and my heart to receive everything that you have for me today. What if you prayed that every day, every moment, every God, just, just Lord, I can't complicate things. I'm busy. I'm tired. I, I don't know what to pray. But, but Lord, today, open my eyes, my ears, my mouth, my heart. It's easy to remember. Will that make you more aware of God's presence? More so than if you didn't say it. 
Because if you're like me, what I am aware of in the day are, are, are the likes that come through, the messages that come through, the, the emails, the dings, the this, the that, the worries that I have, the, the bills that I need to pay, the mail that I, on and on and on and on and on and on. And, 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 and the more you focus on your problems and your disappointments and the things that you want in life that haven't happened yet, the more you will lose sight of God's presence. And so when I'm stuck, I must hang on to God's promises. I cannot lose sight of God's presence with me. He is with you. Christian, he is with you. We just need to be aware of it. And sometimes he does it dramatically. I, we joke about the red cardinals, but I'm telling you, it's a little thing. It's not the red cardinal has nothing to do with God, except it's become sort of a love language. When I see the red cardinal, I feel like God just knows I need a little encouragement. And this time of year, and I try to woo them, don't get me wrong. By the way, it, nothing's wrong with that. Okay, think about that. So I put a bird food thing that, that is made for cardinals. I feed it every day. You know, do all, I'm feeding the cardinal to come. I'm now work with me here. But the idea being, I'm looking for God's presence. You go, well, you're setting it up. You know, that's not a real... Look, there's nothing in a cardinal about God. It's just the idea is that what you look for, you'll find. What you want, you go after. And, and I think a lot about Joseph. Like, what was the difference between him and his brothers? Well, it, he thought about God. Like, like it, there was intentionality. Like, at the end of the day, there was nothing magical other than he was given a promise, he received it, and he kept with it, kept with it, kept with it, even when it looked like it wasn't gonna happen. Even when it looked like the stacks are against him. Even when it looked like he should have been killed. Even when he kept seeing God's faithfulness. How are you seeing God's faithfulness in your life right now? Last point here. When I'm stuck and I can't get out, the only way out is by God's deliverance. I really believe that. I believe that God gives us wisdom, ability, strength, all of the things we need. If you're in a financial mess, you're stuck. If there's certain things that you, you know, you don't have a choice, you have to file for bankruptcy or pay your bills. Like I get there, there's things that we need to do as humans. But listen, if I, I'm not young anymore, and if you've lived as long as I have and have gone through as many struggles as I have, I can guarantee you uh, at this point in my life, and I, I've seen my share of disasters that, uh, that God is the one who delivers us. And so what happened to Joseph? So he gets thrown in prison and he still sees God's presence. And verse 23 of chapter 39, the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Now, again, we see the word success and our brains are like, well, good for Joseph. He succeeded. He was in stinking prison as a slave. We wouldn't have looked at his life and thought success. We would have thought, man, you're so screwed. But the eyes of faith, see glory where we might just see suffering. Do you see it? For chapter 40, sometime after this, several years, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. So remember, this whole story is about God's providence, God in control, working on behalf of his people, not just on behalf of Joseph. Yes, on Joseph's behalf, but on the people's behalf. Why? Because he's setting up the redemption of his people, and he knows a famine's coming, and he's uh, preparing the way for them to uh, get to a place where they will have food. And he's using Joseph to accomplish it. And so there's a big theme happening. The story is not about Joseph at all. Joseph is one instrument in God's hand, but the story is about God who redeems his people. This story is about the brothers who need redemption, though they don't even know what's coming. And, and, and so, so here's Joseph, who life was great in Potiphar's house. He could have ended up there and lived happily ever after, and he would have missed his calling. And so the very prison that God sends him to becomes the 
point the, that propels him into his bigger purpose in life. And so rather than hating the prison, the prison was a gift to get him to where he needed to go. And so these two men, the baker and the butler, end in prison. And of course, you know where this is going. Uh, they get into custody. The captain of the guard puts them in the prison, verse 3, where Joseph was confined. All right. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody, and uh, Joseph uh, was so living outside of himself that even in prison, in his difficulties, his attention was not on himself, but on them. It says, one night they both dreamed, how do, how do we know that? Listen to this. One night they both dreamed the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. This is a young man, still young at that point, who was so living outside of himself that he could see other people's pain. So he's stuck, but he's not focused on self being stuck, but on others that he could minister to. And so he comes to them and asks them, he goes, uh, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. Joseph said to them, do not, okay, now here's the, the guy who's expert in dreams. He was given a dream. He believes God speaks through dreams. And now uh, he has not lost we talked about God's promise. He has not lost sight of God's promise. He didn't give up on God because he hadn't seen the dream. He still believes God is a giver of dreams. He still believes God is an interpreter of dreams. He says, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. And they couldn't have found a better person to, to run them by. Of course, they give the dreams and Joseph interprets them correctly. And then at the end, I'm going to skip over what he interprets ends up happening. On the third day, verse 20 of 41, and we're coming to the end here. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted as his Pharaoh. Now, the, so the baker and the butler go back. The dreams are interpreted correctly by Joseph. And uh, in fact, actually, sorry, I, I, I want to rewind just a second. Bear with me in, um, uh, in verse 16 of Genesis 39. I, 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 I need to uh, go over a verse which I think reveals Joseph's heart because lest you think he's perfect. Uh, this guy was hurting. You say, how do we know he was hurting? Actually, in Genesis 40, verse 18, after giving them the dreams, Joseph answered and said, this is its inter interpretation. The three baskets uh, will lift up. Uh, wait, I want to find the verse. Sorry. Oh, no, sorry. Go back. Go back to, I'm so sorry, but go back to verse 13. He, he tells the, uh, the uh, butler, in three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Verse 14, there it is. He says, only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews and here also I have done nothing that they should me, put me in the pits. So you see, what was his mindset? He was believing God, but he was aware of reality. This wasn't some kind of like weird, I don't see the truth. Everything is la, 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 rainbow colors, you know, unicorns traveling through. This was not Joseph. Joseph was aware of the pain aware of what happened to him and in it he's still he's hurting he has pain he says to the man tell someone that i'm stuck here i didn't do it but but he remains faithful to god and so i think sometimes we feel so much condemnation if we're like oh i feel bad about being stuck there's a lament and a mourning that happens when you're stuck. You would be inhuman if you were like skipping through the prairie in a place of pain right now. And so 
So give yourself grace. God has given you grace. And so I love that that verse is inserted, almost God reminding us, this man is human and he feels like we do. And, and yet he still believes God. And so, and so uh, of course, uh, it happens where the baker and the butler, they get free, you know, they go back and one is killed and the other is restored. Verse 21, he restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And then, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him. Ouch. When I'm stuck and I can't get out, the only way out is by God's deliverance. All right? It's not because of a cupbearer or a baker who remember you. It's not because of Pharaoh who plans to have a dream. You, you know what happens next. I've written about this. I've taught about this. Verse, chapter 41, verse 1. You see how long, uh, how many years went by before the story resumed? Well, two whole years. Two years went by where Joseph woke up in prison, did his duties. How much success can you have in prison? Day after day after day. You can calculate 365 times two. Two whole years, not remembered. No one took notice. That's a long time. And then Pharaoh had a dream. Who gave Pharaoh the dream? Well, God did. See, how was Joseph in that two-year period? Did he grow bitter? Did he fall into despair? Um, no, no. In verse 14, uh, after Pharaoh tells that he had a dream, he wants them to interpret it, the butler remembers, <gasps> Joseph, all things work out for good to those who love God who are called according to his purpose. Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. They brought him out of the pit, and in one day he gets a robe, and he shows up to Pharaoh. They wash him up. Pharaoh says, I have had a dream. There's no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said that you... Uh, a view that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Still faithful, still believing, unshaken that he was sold unfairly by his brothers, that he was accused unfairly by Potiphar's wife, that the cupbearer forgot about him, unfazed, but, but hanging on to the promise of God, not losing sight of God's presence and certain of God's deliverance in its time. You and I cannot force our way out of prison. We can only surrender our way out of prison. And we cannot underestimate the lessons we've learned in prison and we are learning in prison. What happened to Joseph in prison would shape him to be the leader. That day he gives the interpretation and you know that Pharaoh makes him his right hand. That led up the situation, the story to where the brothers later would be in famine and we'd be brought. And indeed, that dream that he had, that by then, who knows if he'd forgotten or not. In fact, Psalm 105 says about Joseph, uh, he says, when there were few in numbers, Psalm 105, verse 12, when there were few in number of little account and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account. When he summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, verse 17, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron. Until what he had said came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. I'm going to end with that thought. How is God's word testing you right now? Maybe you grew up in the faith. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and you expected your life to look a certain way and you have a promise and you've hung on to it and you know it's for you and forget all of this. Is it for me? Is it not? You know this is for you and you're not seeing the answer. Listen to me. Maybe the word of the Lord is testing you and maybe the point is to stay faithful. It might take two more years 
before God miraculously delivers you. But faith believes that God is able to do what man cannot do. The last word is here. You cannot ever forget the person you're becoming in your prison. For Joseph, we know he became a strong man of faith, a strong man of love and grace. He didn't let his prison destroy his faith. In fact, when the brothers needed forgiveness, he gave it to them freely. I'm not even going to get to the end of the story. I never intended to. But if you uh, want to do yourself a favor, uh, read through Genesis 50 and the response of Joseph to his brothers when they come to him after years of his faithfulness to them. And if you see yourself in, in the story, we are like the brothers. And so follow the thread of the story and put yourself in their place. And after years of faithfulness of Joseph to his brothers, there comes a point in Genesis 50 where Jacob dies and they show up to Joseph petrified that he would now hurt them and punish them and send them away. And so they beg for mercy. And Joseph's response to them is love upon love. And he, he's, it's remarkable that they haven't understood what grace is. Isn't it just like us? We have a savior a son who was loved by the father, hated by his brothers, who went on ahead of us and made a way for our salvation. His name is Jesus. Though Joseph is a type of Christ, we have the real Christ who died for us, rose from the dead, and who lives at the right hand of God, waiting to make intercession for us, but also who lives in us through the Spirit of God so that we can walk through the prison, be stuck in seasons of darkness and dismay, and not have human answers, but trust with everything we have that God's promises are true, that His presence is always with us, and that He will deliver us in His time and in His way for His glory and for our good. Christian, do you believe that today? If you do, then joy is yours, and the impact of your life on those around you should be palpable. And if you don't, don't beat yourself up on the head. Instead, run into the loving arms of a Savior who's waiting to tell you over and over again, I love you. I made a way for you. I'm not taking it back. I'm not throwing you out. God is that love. Not what we make him to be sometimes, but he's truly love, unconditional. If you would only receive that which he's given us.